Then Jesus recommissioned Peter for service. He was restored. First Peter chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I can't think of another Bible writer who could pen those words with such joy and relief as Peter. Past failure doesn't have to mean you're finished. It just means that you need a fresh encounter with God. Continuing on in our series on the life of Abraham. Let's talk about a new revelation of God. A new revelation of God. Genesis 17, 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Sometimes in the Bible, God speaks to people in a still small voice. I don't think he did here. I believe he thundered his name, El Shaddai, God Almighty. Eighteen times that title of God is used in the Old Testament. And it has two meanings. The first is all-sufficient one. And that word comes from the Hebrew word for breast. A baby has all its needs met at the breast of its mother. That baby is totally cared for. That's one idea of this word. The other meaning is all-powerful. And it's similar to a mountain that is strong and unbreakable. Abraham, look at me. I don't need your help with Hagar and Ishmael. I'm all powerful. Abraham was afraid to look at God and he just kind of melted before him. Are you afraid to look at God this morning because you messed up? You failed. And you think if you look at God, you're going to see an angry face looking back. Perhaps disdain, rejection, condemnation. I would like to say to you this morning, you're a better Christian than you think you are. He knows you failed and he knows why you failed. And he's going to help you to overcome. Abraham simply hadn't trusted God enough to believe that the promise would be fulfilled, not only through him, but through Sarah. He soon will. God continues to say to him, Walk before me and be blameless. He hadn't blown it too much. There's hope. He can walk with God. And that is the requirement God asks of him. Don't run ahead of me, Abraham. Don't run alone. Walk with me. It may seem like a hard word, but it's really a word of God's grace. 
God is saying to him, live a life before me in which every step taken is looking to me. Live your life, Abraham, every day accompanied with me. Blameless, we hear that word, and we immediately think perfection in kind of a cold, abstract, philosophical sense. But it means wholehearted commitment, completeness, fullness of maturity. Abraham had an encounter with God here that led to an expectation from God of holiness. If you and I want to deepen our relationship with God, it does require holiness. We can't stay carnal, immature, constantly sinning. So do you need a fresh encounter with God today? And I often think about this in the overall picture of the church in America. How we need a fresh encounter with God. Or I don't know if we will make it in the days ahead. And I believe we will. In verse 2, God confirms or ratifies the covenant he made with Abraham in chapter 15. And if you read through this section that I just read, if you reread it, you'll see all the I wills. There are five of them. And one, I have. The onus is on God to fulfill it. In chapter 15, God made a covenant with Abraham there and asked nothing of him. God is saying we aren't 50-50 partners. But here he asks Abraham to walk with him. And he's going to give him the requirement of circumcision, the mark on his body showing the sign of the covenant. So Abraham falls flat on his face in verse 3. He's relieved. He's so happy. It wasn't too late after all. God had come to him and had spoken to him and reaffirmed that he was still going to use him and deal with him. He hadn't blown it too badly. Falling on his face was a sign of humility in the presence of an awesome God. Abraham may have delayed God's purpose and plan for a season, but he hadn't destroyed it because he couldn't. God was going to fulfill his purpose through Abraham with many descendants, including kings. Let's talk about a new name. Let me read Genesis 17, 5 and 15. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And then in 17, 15, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Names are very important in the Bible. For us, they can be labels or there's a name that's really popular in culture right now. So we'll name our child that. But in Bible times, names stood for character and destiny. And when a name was changed, it was when character changed. For instance, Jacob his given name meant deceiver, and that's who he was. But he became Israel, which means prince of God. <clears throat> Saul became Paul. Cephas became Peter. Abram became Abraham. From exalted father, which is a pretty good name, to father of many nations. Even though for 86 years, Abraham was childless, he was still going to be the father of many nations. Then God adds his name to Abraham's name. I already touched on that. The A-H from Abram to Abraham is like 
the name of God, Yah. Take the word hallelujah. We sang that earlier. Praise God. Halla means praise and Yah is God. So God put his name in the middle of Abraham's name or Abram's name and it became Abraham. And the same thing with Sarai. She became Sarah or princess, mother of nations. But one interesting rendering of Sarah's name is contentious. So she changed too. In fact, Peter points that out in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 is the whole context. But in verse 4, it says of Sarah, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. God is changing you and me too. And we are going to be given a new name in Revelation 2.17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. In heaven, you're going to be given a new name. That's pretty cool. Revelation 3.12. The one who conquers... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. A new covenant sign, a new covenant sign. That's point three. I'm going to read from verse nine through the rest of the chapter. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he and who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation 
But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house are bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. So part of the covenant for Abraham to keep was circumcision, the cutting of foreskin of the male. You make a covenant, you cut a covenant. So you cut the foreskin. And every day, day, the male would be reminded of this covenant between he and God and know whose he was. Circumcision was actually an old practice. It, it was done even before Abraham's day. We have records of it. The Egyptians circumcised as far back as 2500 B.C. It was used to mark slaves. It became a customary rite of passage into adulthood in many cultures. But no other group on earth did it at eight days old. That's what separated the Jews from others. The father would do it to his son. He would say, you're part now of the believing community. But they would believe for themselves when they were older. So some have made an interesting parallel with infant baptism and this rite. But the Bible teaches believers baptism, not infant baptism. Believers are baptized after they believe. So we dedicate children and baptize believers And we would like to do a baptism at Easter if you need to be baptized. Jews later focused on the outward sign or symbol that proved that they had a relationship with God. But Paul argued against that notion in Romans 2, 25 to 29. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And this idea of circumcision became a problem in the early church when Gentiles were being saved, and they were, of course, uncircumcised. And so the Jewish early Christians wanted to make these Gentiles be circumcised. And again, Paul stood up and said, no. True circumcision is of the heart. It's an inward spiritual reality. And each and every one of us this morning are spiritual Jews and have a spiritual circumcision. I love Abraham's reaction to this in verse 17. It says he fell on his face and laughed. 
In verse 3, he fell on his face in awe of God's presence and coming to him. Now it's just a fallen in his face of delight and joy. He can't believe the news. It's not a laugh of disbelief or scoffing like Sarah when she hears about this in the next chapter, which we'll get to next week. She's rebuked for laughing about the promise. But Abraham here isn't rebuked. He just can't believe how good the news is. And so he just starts laughing. And I can imagine God saying, oh, you're laughing about this? Let's call this child Isaac, which means laughter. Abraham still loves Ishmael. That really came out in the passage to me. He was conceived outside of God's perfect plan, though. And you can get the sense that Abraham is still hoping, wanting Ishmael to be the one to fulfill God's plan. But it wasn't meant to be. God still loves Ishmael, too. And maybe you love an Ishmael. Something resulting from you being outside the will of God. God promises to bless Ishmael, too, for Abraham's sake. He will give him numerous descendants, 12 rulers, just like Abraham's grandson, Jacob, would have 12 sons who would be the 12 tribes of Israel. And Ishmael's descendants would be Bedouin shepherds, also called Midianites. So when you see Ishmaelites and Midianites, same people group, and they settled primarily in northern Saudi Arabia. In fact, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, was a Midianite priest. God is more than fair here with Abraham, but his covenant will not be with Ishmael. It will be with Isaac through Sarah. God's plan is never our plan B. It always stays his plan A. So God finishes his conversation with Abraham and leaves. And then in verses 23 to 27, we see that Abraham obeyed God's command. It says that very day. He obeyed immediately, and God loves immediate obedience. I can imagine Abraham telling the adult servants the news from God, what they had to do. And I can imagine them saying, your God told us to do what? But the pain of circumcision would be short-lived while this encounter with God would last a lifetime. And it will for you, too. Today, do you need a fresh encounter with God like Abraham did? I want to close by sharing a story of a fresh encounter that I experienced. And it happened in Panama. Kathy and I knew missionary. We had missionary friends that were in Panama ministering. And they invited us to come. And Janice Bullock, formerly of our church, went along with us. And it was a time to teach these young men and women from South and Central America who wanted to go out on the mission field. In fact, some of them are still doing missions to this very day. So I, I was teaching them, and they were very affirming. The topics that were given were hermeneutics and homiletics, which is interpreting the Bible and preaching. My last assignment for them, they were given, they would be given a text, or they could come up with their own text, and they had to create a sermon from that and deliver it. So I listened to 11 sermons in Spanish, translated by my friend into English. And that Friday evening, we, we celebrated with food and drinks and just having a great time. And I think that was their last day there. The next night, Saturday night, was our final night there. And so our friends, the Tovars, invited a godly couple 
who had prophetic gifts to come and just pray over us. And that was a blessed time. They spoke into our lives that night. Here are some of the things that they said. Be strong and courageous. Well, that's right out of the Bible. God is with us. And that roots and foundations would need to come down. That God would add his blessing. And one last thing. This, the woman who was, did most of the talking, she used the word fresh a lot. So it was a fresh encounter with God that we had that still is in my mind to this day. So as we close in prayer, just want to invite you once again, if you would like a fresh encounter with God, if you feel like that's something you need, while we're singing the last song, feel free to come down to the altar and pray. Lord, your New Testament scriptures tell us to be filled with the Spirit, and it's a command. And it's in the tense of the Greek language that means continually, because we continually need fresh experiences and encounters with you. I'm so glad that you showed yourself in a very powerful way, in a visitation, a miraculous visitation this week. But Lord, we need more than a visitation. As someone said, we need an occupation. We need you to come and stay with us. So, Lord, this morning, we open our hearts to you. Anyone, I pray, Lord, that feels discouraged, that feels like they're far from you, that you haven't spoken to them in so long, and they don't know if you're finished with them, Lord, I pray that you would give them an encouraging word today. That no, it isn't over. It's just the beginning. That you want to speak fresh into their hearts again. Lord, I pray that we would have open hearts to you and how you want to use us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stand.
continually. We need you, Lord. As we leave this place, go down to the gym and share fellowship together, food and conversation. Lord, we know it's you we need. Let us feed on you to feed on your word, your truth that would strengthen our hearts, that we may live for you this week.